And this morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he, and that's Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Mike, come on up. Thank you, Damien. And uh, first, apologies to the musicians and uh, several fellow presbyters are here today. You've heard the sermon already. Um, That's how it works, I guess. Uh, I I was glad when Damien said, uh, would you come and do that? Uh, I mean, that's almost like a preacher's dream, right? You don't have to prepare another sermon. You've already got it. You almost feel guilty a little bit, you know. Um, But trust me, uh, every time I prepare to preach, I'm reminded of the the week-in and week-out labor of pastors like Damien and the burden that that is. And I'm I'm grateful for faithful pastors, especially when I'm reminded how tough it is when I have to preach. Um, As Damien said, we were at Presbytery. They asked me to to speak on disabilities. Uh, It's kind of, by default, become my thing, I guess. Um, 36 years ago, our first child was born. Jessica's back there with Mary. And um, we, were, we were doing young life work in western New York. Young, idealistic, rather naive about the world and about God. And I kind of felt God was lucky to have me on his team, frankly. Um, you know, everything was great. And then our daughter was born with um, problems. Didn't know it at first. We were so naive, we didn't even know it. But uh, about 36 years ago this month, she was diagnosed um, it's a weird diagnosis. She's unique. Um, she has a, a chromosomal anomaly of the eighth chromosome. That combined with agenesis of the corpus callosum, uh, she's severely and profoundly mentally and physically disabled. So when that happened, we entered a new world, a world of brokenness, a world of loss, um, a different place for us that we had not expected to travel, a different road that we were not ready for. Um, last March, this past March, Johnny Erickson Tata was in town for the Ligonier Conference, and we got her to come to Geneva School, very fortunately, and uh, she used one of her key lines that I, I steal all the time. She said, God sometimes uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Let that, let that sink in just for a second. God sometimes uses what he hates to accomplish something that he loves. And I want us to bear that in mind this morning as we look at, at John 9, what it means to be a follower of Christ uh, in a world that's broken. Let me pray one more time for us. 
as we open up John 9. Heavenly Father, in you and in your word are found all the riches of wisdom and grace. Grant us that humility of heart without which we cannot see or understand your good news. Bless us as we spend this time together in your word. Feed us from your word and from your table. And we ask this only by the confidence of Christ our Lord. Amen. So you've got some of the scripture there. It might be on the screen. I don't know. Um, John 9, very familiar stuff. But as we open it up, let me set the context for you just to, to make sure we're all on the same page. Jesus had just finished in John 8 what I kind of uh, sarcastically call a theological smackdown with the Pharisees. Uh, he had called them children of the devil. And they had said that, that uh, he was a, a, I mean, they used pretty graphic terms to talk about him being a fatherless child. Um, he called himself nothing less than the great I am. And the religious people at the end of that statement picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. So this encounter in John 9 comes right on the heels of this. It says in, at the end of John 8 that he hid himself and left the temple area but soon after that, apparently, we can assume Jesus is still in and around Jerusalem. And as he's going along, he sees the blind man. John 9.1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, it's helpful to remember that John organizes his whole gospel around seven signs. Uh, and the, these signs... Some, some scriptures actually say miraculous signs, but the, the text just says signs. And the signs point to some aspect of Jesus' divinity, all seven of them. And at the end of John, he actually says these signs, and he says there were many more that were not written, but these signs were written so that you might believe and have life. That's John's whole purpose. He wants his readers to believe that Jesus is the Savior and to have life in his name. And so, uh, the wedding at Cana in chapter 2, it, it actually, the text says, this was the first sign. And Lazarus raised from the dead was the last sign. Uh, this is the sixth of these seven signs. Each one points to some aspect of Jesus' divinity. And that, that's what signs do, right? They, they direct us. They point us. Uh, they, they, they show us where we should be going. Uh, these signs were written so that we might believe and have life. And in this passage, as Jesus often does, he models for us what it means to be human, but he also displays for us his amazing divinity. And we have much to learn from both. So, my first point, chapter 9, verse 1, as he's going along, he saw the man blind from birth, or born blind. The point is we need to see. Notice, the, I mean, the primary verb here is not as he's going along, that's the, the, the the, the helping verb, the, the, the primary idea here is he saw. Okay, he saw this man. The story doesn't begin with the disciples asking a crucial question or, or some encounter. He sees, and the disciples apparently saw that he saw. Our culture doesn't like to see disabilities, do we? Uh, we in the West, we have been culturally conditioned in so many ways, to avoid seeing things that we don't want to see, to ignore the brokenness in humanity around us. Uh, brokenness makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? It disturbs our, our, our 
our, our kind of well-controlled, um, carefully orchestrated lives. And it reminds us that the world is broken. And, and we do a masterful job ourselves, don't we? Of kind of hiding our own brokenness. I mean, y'all are a good-looking group of people, I got to say. <laughs> but we know it's inside, don't we? We know there's, there's, there are deep wounds. There are, there's brokenness that is very difficult for us to be vulnerable with. But our, our culture does a great job of, we don't, we don't even see people with disabilities. You know this is true if you take a missions trip to a third world country, right? If you've been to a third world country, people with disabilities are everywhere. Because there are not care facilities, there are not job uh, core places for them to, to work. They're on the street, and they're everywhere. We don't like to see brokenness. I mean, think about it. This happened in the old... This is a human thing. It's not just us in, in, in the, the modern world. Um, the road to, between Jericho and Jerusalem, the parable of the Good Samaritan. People came along and they saw brokenness. They saw need and they, 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 they averted their gaze and they walked away and they passed it by even closely. We don't want to... We don't want to make eye contact. We want to avert the gaze and politely go on by. Children see, don't they? I mean, children embarrass us sometimes, don't they? They see, and they've not been well-conditioned yet enough to, to do that thing we do. And they'll t- sometimes just come up and say, what's, what's wrong with her? And the parents are like, oh, shush, that's not, that's not kind, be quiet. And they avert the gaze and walk on. This is what we do. Children see. And children ask questions in their innocence. It's happened to us a lot through the years with our daughter. And uh, it took us a while to develop the right answers. Sometimes, but their, their first question is, what's wrong with her? And we'd say, well, you know what? She's just the way God made her. It's different. And we're not sure what God's doing with this. But it, it's not wrong. It's just different. And the kids are like, okay. They're fine with that. Parents walk away scratching their heads. They're not sure what that is. But don't miss the importance here. Jesus noticed this man. And Jesus notices our brokenness too. He sees beyond our superficial uh, ability to hide ourselves. He sees the pain, the loss, the difficulties that are invisible to our neighbors. He sees the brokenness we try to hide from ourselves. He knows our most profound wounds, and that's, that's a comforting thought. And if we're to be like Jesus, we need to see. And that means intentionality. That means not just happening to see, but looking for. Sometimes looking for those who are in pain, those with brokenness and hurt. They're all around us. Some people, like, like this man, it might be a condition from birth, or, or like our daughter, from conception. Uh, some people bear brokenness because of a tragic accident, like, like, again, our friend Johnny Tata at 18 years old. You know, dives in the water, broken neck, life changes drastically and radically. The point is, we need to see disability. And then second, not only do we need to see it, but in verse 2, I'm going to draw out from verse 2 the idea that we need to approach disabilities. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents? He was born blind. 
It doesn't say that Jesus approached, but I've got to think. Well, first of all, the blind man is not in the middle of the road. They're always on the side. So Jesus had to turn aside, and he had to engage. Otherwise, his disciples, who, who were often in that kind of mode of, we've got places to go, things to do, come on, kids, back away, we've got to go, we've got to go, right? The disciples only asked a question because they saw Jesus had already engaged with this man. Text doesn't say, and it might be a little dangerous to read into it too much, but maybe Jesus was talking to him. Maybe he just went over. We don't know. But the disciples saw enough of Jesus' engagement. They saw that he saw, and they saw that he approached this man in some way engaged with this man, that they came up and they engaged as well. Jesus models for us here what it means to be human. We neglect to notice God sees. We tend to avoid He approaches. Is it a scary thing to do? Yeah, all the time. It is. Is it risky? Probably. Costly? Without doubt. (laughs) We're always uncomfortable when we approach need, aren't we? About 20 years ago, John Piper visited uh, RTS here in Orlando, and I remember him saying, move away from comfort toward need. Move away from comfort toward need. That's what Jesus was doing here. That's what he was modeling for us here. It's the human thing to do. And this is what Jesus models. He, He saw the disability. He approached the disability. And as I often tell people, when we engage with people who live with disabilities, we all of a sudden come to a realization that they're not a different kind of person. Our culture does this kind of pernicious thing of, you know, they're a different category of people. I mean, Hollywood gives Academy Awards to people who can play those kinds of people. They're not a different kind of people. They're made in God's image. They are broken, just like you and I are broken. It's not a different kind. It's just a matter of degree of brokenness. It's just an ability to hide or not hide it. That's, that's all it is. We are, we, this is the kind of the sub-thesis of a book I wrote on disabilities in the gospel. We are broken. Part of the, part of the good news is the bad news, right? I mean, good news is only as good if, if you understand that there's bad news. And the bad news is that, that we are desperately broken, sinful people who are helpless on our own. Amen? Amen. Yeah, we are, we are desperately broken people. We cannot help ourselves. And the good news is, Jesus can save us. The good news is, by trusting in Him, who is strong and perfect and good and sure, we can have life in His name. That's good news. So, third point. The disciples have asked this question. We need to see God's purposes. We need to see God's purposes. This is where it gets tough, folks. The disciples approached Jesus with what they thought was the right question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's the natural way that people construct things. We've been doing this for centuries. If there's something that's wrong, if there's evil, there must be a direct cause. And so they said, it's got to be either him or his parents, right? And we do the same thing. Obviously, there must be a connection between their state and their, their soul. Who's to blame? 
sometimes we can see a clear connection, can't we? I mean, Johnny Tata says, yeah, I broke my neck because I dove in the, in the water. Clear connection, action, reaction, and consequence. Sometimes sin is related to people's state of brokenness, no question. Sometimes it's not so evident. I remember <laughs> we were doing Young Life work in Western New York, uh, Buffalo. And by the way, you don't move to Buffalo. God calls you there, okay? Um, beautiful place, but uh, whoo, it's cold. Um, and this dear lady came up just in the church parking lot soon after our daughter's diagnosis. She says, have you all confessed the sin that led your daughter's disability? I'm thinking to myself, I'm about to have a sin to confess. <laughs> but this is how people think. This is the natural way that people think. Look at Jesus' response. It's shocking. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Wow. The purpose doesn't lie in a sin. The purpose lies in the purposes and the plans of God Almighty. We've got to unpack the, the mistaken construct that people make, okay? Uh, it goes like this. Since bad things happen with respect to God, either He is all-powerful and just doesn't care, because if He, if he was all-powerful and He cared, He'd fix it, or he's good, but he's not all-powerful. Have you heard that one? That's a, a construct that skeptics come up with all the time. It means that it, since evil exists, God is either good or powerful, but he can't be both. All right? And, and this is the thesis behind that, that famous book. Uh, Rabbi Kushner wrote this book about, well, 36 years ago. It came out the year our daughter was born in my dear mother gave it to me. I was like, oh, this is... I mean, I read this book, and basically he, he, he lays out this construct, and he comes down on the second side. He says, God is good. He is good. But he's not sovereign, and the world is broken, and he's, he's rooting for you, he's cheering for you, but he can't help you. And I just... I, I read this book, and I said, this is a theology of despair. If this is true, just shoot me now, because there is no hope here. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures are clear. God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. And he is good. And if both of those things are true, then there must be a third option. And there is a third option. There's a tertium quid. There's a third way. And that's what Jesus unfolds for us here. It's not that this man's in. It's not that God is, is sovereign and heartless or that God is good but not powerful. This was designed in the purposes of God. Why? For his glory. It's not a false dilemma. The man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Johnny's statement again. In this guy's case, God allowed something he hated to accomplish something he loves. His glory. Now, we have to watch out for another mistake that's pretty common at this point. Too many well-intentioned people say, see, God, God saw the problem and he solved it. He removed the suffering. That was never his intention in the first place. 
Some people want to get God off the hook. Okay? Here's a tough statement for you. God does not want to get off the hook, friends. God does not want to be off the hook here. As if, as if this was a, a mistake that Jesus came along, oops, we've got to fix this. No, that's not what was happening here. Okay? Remember uh, Exodus 4? Moses is called by God. And Moses brought out one excuse after another. You know, and and his, his best excuse he saved to last, he said, I can't talk. I'm slow of speech and thick of tongue. Remember God's response? It's an equally shocking response. He said, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God is not making excuses here. He's taking credit for our brokenness. That's hard stuff. But this is where Romans 8.28 makes sense. Okay? That all things work for good, not for everybody, (laughs) unfortunately, but all things work for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. There are no surprises for God. There are surprises for us, which is a shock for us in our, again, well-conditioned, carefully orchestrated, uh, risk-averse culture, you know, where somebody's got to be at fault and somebody's going to pay through a lawsuit for anything that happens, it might just be an act of God. It might just be an act of God. And why does he do it? For our sanctification in the near term and for his glory through all eternity. We often think we know the remedy, don't we? Remember the the fellows who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus? And they were so desperate to get him in front of Jesus, they took off the roof and they lowered him in front of the roof and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) And these guys are on the roof going, his legs, his legs, how much can he sin? He's laying on a mat all day, his legs. God knows our most profound need and it's not always to walk or talk. Our most profound need is to be safe from our sins. Amen? And to be reunited with Him in fellowship for all eternity, that's our most profound need. A little principle for you. Ontology precedes axiology. Being precedes doing. Before Jesus gave bread to the people, He already was the bread of life. Before He gives light to this man's eyes, he says, I am the light of the world. This is who Jesus is. He is the light of the world. And he gives light. In this, in this particular case, physical, existential, real-time light into dark eyes. But for many in this room and for many through, through the ages, he gives spiritual light where there had only been darkness. Lots of sermons between John 9, 1 through 7 and the end of the chapter. Uh, jump down toward the end, and there's one more principle that I think John gives us, and that is that we need to embrace God's purpose, which is to worship the light of the world. We need to embrace God's purpose, which is to worship the light of the world. Uh, 
Down there in verse 34, the blind man had been thrown out by the religious authorities. He'd been cast out of the synagogue by the professionals who thought they knew how God worked. And the detail in John 35, I love this, John 9, 35, Jesus heard that the man had been thrown out, and Jesus found him again. (laughs) Sometimes we get light, and then we get lost again. And Jesus has to find us all over again. Why? So he could comfort the man who saw, so that he could, you know, walk with us and say, yeah, I know, I'm rejected too, it's tough. No. He found him again. Look, look what it says. Uh, the man asked who the Son of Man is, so that he might believe, so that he might trust him. And this is great. Jesus says, you have seen him. He is speaking to you. Isn't that great? You have seen him. He is speaking to you. And then look what the text says. This is, again, this is shocking. It says, the man bowed down and worshipped him. And what does the text not say? Does not say Jesus stopped him from worshipping him. Jesus accepted the worship from this man. This is a display of Jesus' divinity. The man had seen the light. He had found the Son of Man. And he bowed down and worshipped him. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says that God made light shine in the darkness of our hearts so that we can see the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ. Amen? We can read the words of Scripture as a, as a non-believer and they make no sense. I mean, the words individually make sense. I remember reading the Scriptures before I became a Christian. I was, uh, parts of me, you can do nothing. Are you kidding? I can do all kinds of things. And then when your eyes are opened, it makes sense because you can see the face of Christ and the glory of God. Let me conclude with this. Um, a Tolkien illusion. Some people call me Gandalf when my beard is longer. (laughs) As the company and the Fellowship of the Ring are are about to depart the forest realm of Lorien toward the end of book two, which is at the end of volume one, uh, Lady Galadriel says, she gives each of them a gift, and to Frodo she gives the vial, a star glass, as Sam called it. And she says, in this vial is caught the the light of a lindel star. It will shine still brighter when night is about you. May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. Tolkien lays all kinds of illusions in Lord of the Rings. Jesus is the light. Uh, Lady Galadriel gave a light. Jesus is the light. And he is the light that will shine in our darkness when all other lights go out. Amen? He is the only one, and he wants us to come to him and to bow down and worship him as the light of the world who saves us from our darkness. I don't know what darkness surrounds you. I mean, I can imagine a group this large, there's lots of darkness. There's lots of hurt. There's lots of brokenness. I don't know what you've experienced in the past. None of us knows what we're going to experience in the future. But this we know. Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus is our light in darkness, and he will continue to shine. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. 
John begins with that, and this is his big purpose through the blind man. The world rejects people with disabilities. We, we marginalize them, we ignore them, we discount them. Um, Iceland is bragging about the fact that they no longer have Down syndrome. They have conquered it. They have ridded their country of people with Down syndrome. How sad for Iceland. Because our friends with disabilities teach us things we can't learn any other way. And we're poorer without them. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the, the body of Christ and everybody being a member of the body. He's got that cool thing about the finger can't save the eye, the eye can't save the ear, you know, all that stuff. He talks about weaker and less presentable parts that are indispensable to the body. Who are those people in our day? It could be lots of things, but I'm pretty convinced weaker and less presentable parts are the people we'd rather not see. The ones who don't bring anything to the game. Who cost money. Who, who are a risk to our community. But see, God never does things the way the world does it, does he? He always does things different. He always takes the world's wisdom and turns it upside down. And God says, find weak people and make them part of your body. You need them. Because you will learn things from them that you can't learn from anybody else. So this is my message to you from John 9. This was a man who was marginalized, rejected, discarded, ignored. Jesus gave him light so that he might worship. May you and I take the risk. May you and I approach disabilities, engage people who the culture rejects. Embrace, bring them in. Why? Because they need the light of the world just as much as you need the light of the world. And they need to worship Christ just like you and I need to worship Christ. That's what God designs. That's what God desires, I think, is a whole body even with weaker parts. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I don't know about this group of people. I've never seen anybody blind given sight to see. We live in a day of medical marvels, certainly. And uh, amazing things are happening. Uh, deaf people are hearing through cochlear implants, things like that. Uh, but Lord, we know there are some things in our broken world that can't be fixed. We know there are some wounds in our own hearts that will always bear a tender scar. But God, as we trust in you, you redeem even these things, even these broken wounds, you redeem for your glory and for our good. Help us, Father, to see those things that, that you might hate, but you're using in our life to accomplish something you love. Give us that grace. And give this community that grace to embrace this idea as well. May you be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.